See, good morning. Good to see you guys. Uh, it's always good to switch things up, right? Do something a little bit different. Um, they're having a marriage conference uh, this whole weekend. I believe Friday night, Saturday, and then uh, this morning, obviously, over in the theater. So we are over here, which is just fine. Uh, because it's just good to be reminded, at least it is to me anyway, that we're not bound by a building, right? Right? Church isn't just a place that we go, uh, it's who we are. And in fact, it's actually almost kind of timely um, that we can say that this morning and that we're over here because we've been doing this series for the last several weeks on the church uh, called Who We Are. And what we're speaking about, or have been speaking about, is our corporate identity in Christ, that not just to our identity individually, but our identity corporately, um, that we are together because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We are bride, we are family, and we are body. And so if you guys have been here over the last couple of weeks, I know the weather's been crazy. We had snowmageddon, we had, you know, the coldest weather we've had in a long time. Praise God that there will be school tomorrow. All the stay-at-home moms right now are like, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Um, no, we love our kids, but uh, it was, whew, yeah, um, it was too cold for them to go outside, you know what I mean? And so it was a little bit, a little bit crazy. Um, but if you've been here over the last couple of weeks, I know a lot of people miss because of the weather and stuff, totally understandable. But again, we've been talking about that we're bride, body, family, and, and really this whole series, I think it'll be helpful this morning as we get into this for what I want to do, to just think of this, the last three weeks um, as kind of one big sermon, one big three-point sermon with talking about bride, body, family. And today, what I'd like to do is kind of just give the practical wrap-up application of that sermon over the last several sermons that, that I've given, and just kind of really how this applies. Um, we're not going to be in one specific text this morning as we usually are. Again, we've covered Ephesians 5, Romans 8, Ephesians chapter 4, as we've talked about bride, family, body. But this morning, I really want, you know, especially for those of you that call Mercy Hill home, to be able to leave here with just at least a little bit more clarity in regards to these three questions. And that is, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? And how do you fit in? What are we doing? Why are we doing it? And how do you fit in? And so this morning what I want to talk about is just a lot of practicals that are really going to flesh out um, some of the things that I've kind of laid the foundation for over the last several weeks. Can you guys see the whiteboard? Yes-ish. I'll try to move back and forth. I know there's a little bit of a glare. By the way, Conrad prayed for distractions or, or that there would be minimal distractions this morning. That's primarily for me because I'm totally like, squirrel. Um, out the window there. That is, so, that is so distracting to me. So if you see me just like gazing off, just say, Eric, come back. Okay. Um, but here, here, here's the deal. Okay. So over the last several weeks, again, bride, family, body. Uh, we had a partnership class this last Sunday evening. Uh, I usually go over this at each one of the partnership classes. I've done this, did this about a year and a half, two years ago at the theater. So some of this will be reviewed. I'm just going to kind of jump right in and it'll be a little bit technical, but hopefully if you hang with me, it'll make sense. Is that when we talk about church, what makes up the church? We believe that there are at least three things, three factors that a group of people has to be committed to pursuing together in order for a group of people to be called a church. And those three things are worship, community, and mission where you have a group of people that are committed to 
worshiping together. Again, not just singing, but hearing the word proclaimed, loving Jesus, doing that together. Where you have a group of people willing to do community together. Again, not just built around a sports team or where you live or, or some sort of other you know, natural affinity, even though, although that's not bad. But we're committed to doing community together around Jesus. And then where you have a group of people committed to doing war, um, mission together around Jesus, you have the church. And so this is what you would call the ecclesial minimum, that you have worship, community, and mission. And you have these things, and they're built around Jesus, or we all say Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, okay? So when people are committed to doing these things together, you have the church. Now, here's what's happened, okay? Over time, this is essentially what's happened in the church in general, okay? Is what you have the church doing is you have the church primarily just committing to these two things, which is worship and community. So we gather together on Sunday mornings and you do small groups, or you gather together on Sunday mornings and you have a Sunday school class, or you have care groups, or different things like that. Not bad at all, but the big piece that is usually missing is the mission piece. And this is usually where, what, why we have parachurch organizations. Parachurch organizations are not bad at all. They're good. There's tons of good ones. We support good ones. I mean, Samaritan's Purse, Operation Christmas Child, all those types of things. Not bad at all. But the disconnect comes is that usually in the church, we, we, we kind of tend to, although we wouldn't say this, we tend to sub out mission. We tend to sub out mission to a parachurch organization. And here's why that matters. is because if you were here last week when we talked about body, it is the will of God for each and every member of that body and us collectively as the body together, as a local church, to engage in the mission of God. And my argument is, is that if we're not engaged in all three of these intentionally on some level, then we are not the full expression of what God intends the church to be. Are you following me so far? Good? Okay. So worship community mission, and here's how this kind of breaks down. Remember first week, again, we talked about bride. Second one, that we are um, family. And lastly, that we are body. Okay? And so again, as we talk about bride, family, body, you see how these play in with these three factors. That the bride, that we come together, and we come together here on Sunday mornings, not just Sunday mornings, but this is one primary time when we do it. Again, this is not church. This is just one thing that we as the church do. But we come together, and we are primarily held together, first and foremost, as a people that have been saved by Jesus Christ. That I hope this morning you know that he loves you, and that you love him in return. The Bible says that we love him because he first loved us. That that is what makes us the church, is that we are in love with Jesus. Secondly, and so you would have here, along with this, sorry, you would have what we call here on Sunday mornings, big church. Okay? Secondly, we're family. This is what we call at Mercy Hill, we call small church. Is that we come together because we're in love with Jesus, we also love each other as family. And so we gather during the week at different places and at different times to come together and, again, have our community built around Jesus. Again, same thing we, we do here. We open up God's word, we try to lift up Jesus, and we gather around that and, and we worship. In small church, what we try to do is open up the word, lift up Jesus, and gather around that in community, sharing, talking, sharing our hearts, our struggles, what's going on, praying for each other, doing the ministry that a family should do, should do together. But then lastly, we have, as we saw last week, we are the body. We are the body of Christ. 
And um, one of the things that I'll get to here after a little bit is ver a very functional thing, a very practical thing that we're going to be starting here at Mercy Hill in regards to how we can better express ourselves as the body of Christ. Now, one of the things that you'll hear um, kind of beginning after this week, you'll see it on the website, you'll see it around a lot, is that this is what we call, and by we I mean like me and the elders, the leaders here at Mercy Hill, this is what we call our discipleship pathway, okay? That this is the means through which we want to see people discipled. Now listen, last week if you were here, one of the things that I said was that discipleship is a community project, okay? Discipleship is a community project. The Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded them. That's the command he gave them. And, but then when you read the book of Acts, and they begin to go out and flesh out that command, they did that on an individual level, but what they did is they planted churches, Throughout the book of Acts, you see them planting churches as a way of being obedient to the Great Commission because disciples are made primarily through the church. And one of the big ideas that I want to get across to you this morning is that when we talk about discipleship, it's that idea of obeying Jesus. It literally means learner or follower. That's why when Jesus first called the disciples, he said, follow me. And they dropped everything and they changed direction. They began, they began to follow him. Uh, but when we begin to talk about that stuff, it's about changing direction, there, it's, about, it's about movement, and it happens within, it happens within the context um, of community. And discipleship is ultimately what, what we're after. You guys with me so far? I'm making sense? Okay. So, if I can get that first um, slide, the, the chart, Conrad. No, the other one. I'm sorry. The, that's, a, that's also a chart. That was the wrong word. Go back this, okay? I want to talk for a little bit, <coughs> and there's a lot more than this, but about some of the differences between cultural Christianity versus discipleship, okay? Cultural Christianity versus discipleship. Cultural Christianity is what many of us, not all of us, but many of us grew up with, especially around here, is that I go to church, and I've always gone to church. Why do you go to church? Well, because my mom and dad went to church, and they made me go to church. And why did they go to church? Well, because their mom and dad went to church and they made them go to church. And so it's just kind of what, what we do, okay? And in America in general, there's just kind of a cultural Christianity that like is just good if you call yourself a Christian. Um, things can work out better for you. It can lead to a better job opportunity. It can lead to people liking you and just thinking better of you if you call yourself a Christian. There... And if you truly are one, then that's good. But again, discipleship is something different, okay? And I want to talk about that for a second. First of all, cultural Christianity is focused on knowledge, where discipleship is focused on obedience. Now, knowledge, information, learning, teaching, what I'm doing right now, that's obviously a part of it. But again, what Jesus said in telling the, disciple, or the, the original 12 to go and make disciples was to teach them to obey, to obey all that I've commanded you. Um, again, the illustration that I've used before that you guys, if, if you remember, is that of the, uh, 
uh, the flight attendant, when you're getting ready to take off, you're backing away from the gate. Remember, she's telling you, you know, she's doing this whole thing and pointing to the exits and putting on the mask and doing that whole thing. And, right, and nobody's listening to her, right? Why is nobody listening to her? Even though she's telling you how to save your life. Because nobody believes that they're going to actually have to do it. Nobody believes that they're going to have to obey what she's telling them to do, and so therefore nobody's listening. But see, when you begin to understand that what discipleship is, is obeying the commands of Jesus, not earning your salvation. The, the, the commands are summed up in two things, love God and love people. But there's nuance to all of that and how to best do that in every situation. Um, but when we understand that as disciples, if we're true followers of Jesus, then we need to obey his commands and to live this out, it changes the way that we listen. It changes the way that we take in knowledge. That writing notes and, you know, on the back of your bulletin or on your phone or whatever, that's all good and great, and man, I'm totally for that. But if it stops there, and you never seek to obey it or to apply it to your life on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, then that's just cultural Christianity. It's about applying it. So it's focused on obedience, not focused on knowledge. Secondly, Cultural Christianity is very individualistic, where discipleship is relational. Is that because we're just focused on knowledge and it's all about just taking in, we just take in, we take in, we take in, we can listen to podcasts, we can listen to radio programs, we can do all this different stuff, and I, and I do that during the week. Um, uh, you know, you can read different things online, read different books, whatever, but you can just take in, but you can never actually allow a group of people to know you. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians that, he said, when we came to you, he said, we were willing to share with you not only the gospel, but our very lives. See, that's what it's about. It's not about just information. It's also about community. It's about people truly knowing each other and understanding who we are and understanding how the gospel is to apply to, to each and every single one of us. And lastly, cultural Christianity is stationary. Where discipleship, there's always movement. Again, when the disciples, the first disciples that he called, they were out on the boat. What did Jesus say to them that caused them to leave everything and to follow him? What, what was his command? What was that? Sorry, it's really echoey in here. Yeah, follow me. That's what he said. And so again, one of the questions you can ask as to whether or not you're a disciple or just a cultural Christian is, is there movement to your life? Now, I'm not telling you that you need to go tomorrow morning and just, you know, hand in your resignation, say, I'm, I'm following Jesus. That's probably not what it is for you. But what have you been willing to leave behind because you're picking up something else? Namely, this life of discipleship, this life of taking the gospel to the nations, whether that is literally to another nation on the other side of the world or whether that is just simply across the office or across the street or across the lunchroom. We have got to live with an understanding that God has called us to move. That wherever God's people, as you look at the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, you know when they were always closest to Jesus you know when they were always seeking him and praying to him and crying out to him and they were seeing the power of God? You know when that was? When things were always tough. When they were enslaved or getting ready to kind of come out of slavery in Egypt. When they had been disobedient and so God had allowed them to be kind of overtaken by other nations. 
See, they, they, they never did good with comfort. They never did good when everything was easy. Every single time that happened, they would begin to just back off and to begin to fall in love with other things. And Jesus calls us, guys, as disciples to get up, to take up our cross, and to follow him. You say, Eric, I'm doing that. Now listen, I can't answer that question for you. That's good, but here's, I would press on again. You say you're doing that. How? How? What changes? What intentional choices have you made in the last week, the last month, the last year, the last five years, the last ten years, whatever, to follow Jesus and to go where he's going, to seek him, knowing that he has a plan for you, knowing that he has prepared, as Ephesians 2.10 says, prepared good works in advance that you may walk in them. We don't like the word commitment. We just don't like it. We don't want to commit. January, the new year, we committed. How many of you guys committed to new workout program? Get in shape this year? Run on that treadmill, elliptical, lift some weights, whatever. And we're good at commitment for a while. And we like to tell people that we've committed, right? We like to talk about the commitments that we've made. But it's another thing to actually keep the commitment. And this is why, guys, we've got to do this together. Because I'm just like you, and you're just like me. And that is, is that we're good at committing on the front end for a little bit, but then when things get hard, when it gets difficult, when other things come and want to grab a hold of our attention, of our hearts, of our affections, of our emotions, they want to steal our hearts away. That's when we need to not just be following Jesus by ourselves, individually, but with a group of people that could continue to say, come on brother, come on sister, we can do this, we can do this together. And so discipleship, again, one of the big ideas I wanted to get across is that discipleship is a map, it's not a menu. There's movement to it. It's a map, not a menu. Um, one of the things that I want to talk about um, that again, just kind of very practical here today that we're going to be starting is something called the E2 course, or what, it stand, what E2 stands for is the Equipped and Empowered course. And I want to take a little bit of time, and again, I told you this is all going to be very, very practical and brass tacks today. But this is something that I really believe um, over time has the potential to really shape and mold us as, as a group of people. And so I want to take a little bit of time and um, explain this. And I think it's really going to change the dynamic of our church. So again, in our discipleship pathway, Mercy Hill is not quite five years old. But even though we've believed all these things, it's been a process of kind of, for the first part, mainly just doing big church, small church, worship, community. We are bride, we are family. Now I'm not saying that we haven't been body. But what I'm saying is, is that we haven't had a ton of very practical things to do to work this out. We've had some things that are not bad. I think we've made efforts. Josh Jump, uh, thankful for him. We've been taking intentional missions trips, uh, offering those, opening them up to anybody that wants to go from Mercy Hill. Um, 
uh, some to Guatemala every year, one to uh, the Indian Reservation or, or possibly somewhere uh, just in the States um, every year. And so we've been doing stuff like that and, it's, we're, gonna cont- and we're, gonna, we're gonna continue to do it. But the E2 course, what it is, is a, it's a year-long process of intentionally following Jesus with another group of people, okay? And I want to talk a little bit about it and try, and try to explain it here. Um, give me just a second. Find my other. This is what, if you go to the website today, mercyhillfamily.com, you'll find a little tab or a little tile on the website that's going to uh, essentially say exactly what I'm going to read here. I'm just going to read it and explain it that way, and then I'll, just, I'll talk through it a little bit. But here's what it says, is that it is the right and privilege of every believer to experience the joy of having God work through them to glorify his name. You with me? So here's the thing. There is joy. There is peace. There is love. There are all these things that fill our hearts when we understand that God loves us and when he just simply saves us. And when we come together and we worship him, it's good. But guys, there is another joy. And I'm not saying it's better. I'm just saying that it's another dynamic. It's another aspect to your relationship with Jesus, to your relationship with God. That is your right and it is your privilege to experience. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit working through you to accomplish the mission of God as his body. Last week, or a week and a half ago, something like that, I was interviewed by a college student who's getting a degree in some sort of ministry thing, whatever. And, uh, and he, wanted, he had to interview a pastor. So he interviewed me and, and he had to ask me these five questions and whatever. And the last question that he asked was this. He says, how would you respond to someone who says that the way traditional church is done is boring? And that there would be a better way to present the gospel. And I said, well, the question again was, how would you respond to someone who says that the way traditional church is done is boring? And I said, well, if you mean that the way traditional church is done is that the only thing that the church does is meet on Sunday mornings and listen to a guy talk, I would say, I wouldn't disagree. If that's all that church is for you, it is boring. At least it would be to me. And I'm saying that as a pastor, and we do this every week. Listen, the, the la- Paul's literally like his dying words, the beginning of the last chapter of the last letter that he ever wrote, knowing that he was going to die to his protege, and the, his son in the ministry, Timothy. He said this, in, in, in view of Christ Jesus, in view of his coming, all his holiness, he says, here's the charge I give you. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. The church was birthed on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. The Spirit of God came, and you know what happened? A fisherman stood up, and he didn't discuss it. He didn't debate it. He didn't try to have a little discussion group. He stood up, and he preached the most seeker, most non-seeker-sensitive sermon ever preached. He said, Jesus died. You're responsible. You crucified him. Repent. And 3,000 people got saved. Throughout church history, The church has gone forward in power when men have stood up and not debated it, not just discussed it, but boldly proclaimed the good news of the gospel. 
And God has been pleased over the course of history through the foolishness of what is preached, through that good news, to grab hold of men's hearts and to save them and to make them his. And the church goes forward in the same way today. And so I believe in what we do here each and every week. But if this is all that your experience of church is, I hope that you enjoy it. I assume you enjoy it. You keep coming back. That's good. That's great. But I am telling you there is more. There is more. Are you with me? God wants to use you. And the reason he can use you is because it's not because of you. It's not about your gifts. It's not just about your abilities. It is in our weakness that we are made strong. And God has been pleased to glorify his name, not just through the proclamation of this message, but through the weakness of the vessels that are proclaiming it. Guys, I I graduated from Highland High School. And that's all the education I got. That's the truth. I'm not against Bible college. I'm not against seminary. Absolutely, positively, God calls people to do that. But I say that for this reason. God can use you. Because I believe, again, it's not because of me, but he uses a fool like me every week. And as we lift up Jesus, we see him do what only he can do. And it is God's will for your life that you use the gifts and the calling that he has for you to glorify his name. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you there's no greater joy. Charles Spurgeon, who was a preacher, they called him the Prince of Preachers, he said it like this. And again, this is because preaching, being in the pulpit, was his call, his gifting, the call that God had for him, the assignment God had for him. But he said, if I can't be in heaven, I want to be behind the pulpit. Because no place on earth do I feel closer to heaven than when I'm in the pulpit. And see, what the equipped and empowered course, let me bring this back, okay, The Equipped and Empowered course, what it is, is our humble attempt to help you figure out what your pulpit is. To help you understand what your giftings are, what your passions are, what your calling is. It's our humble attempt not to, we're not going to tell you this, but it's our humble attempt to try to get you to the feet of Jesus and to hear his voice to where he will speak to you and lead you and guide you in what he has for you. Because here's the deal, and this is, again, all very practical from a church standpoint. Because I'll tell you, you know what I want you to do over the long run of your time here at Mercy Hill? And here's what I mean by that. It's like if God gives us another five years, another 10 years, another 20 years, another 30 years together, you know what I want you to do? Here it is. Whatever it is that you want to do, whatever it is that God has called you to do. See, here's one of the things I've learned as a pastor, is that when I constantly have to be telling people to do this, serve here. Jesus was a servant. You want to be a servant, don't you? We need people to open the door and to greet people. And so you you put this guilt trip on people, and that happens. Here's what always happens. That lasts for about a month or two or three. And listen, there's always going to be stuff that, like, we all have to do stuff that we don't always want to do. Somebody's got to take out the trash in my house. I hate taking out the trash, even though I've got four boys now. Be convicted, little guys, you too. That's right, that's for you. That was a direct word from the Lord this morning. But 
like, I don't, you, I, don't, I don't feel called. Like, I don't feel like my spiritual gift is taking out the trash. Like, somebody's got to do it. Like, there's stuff like that in the church we just always have to do. But over the long run, I want you to do what God has called you to do. You know why? Because you're his. And he designed you to enjoy him. And a big part of that joy is doing what you feel him calling you to do. See, here's what I found is that when people hear God tell them to do something, it stirs something so deep in their heart that you cannot stop them. You can't stop them. But when man just tells somebody to do something, well, yeah, Jesus was a servant. I want to serve, so yeah, I'll do it. It doesn't last. And so in the church, we're constantly trying to psych each other up rather than understanding and listening for the leading, guiding of the Holy Spirit, the voice of God being very real in your life to do what he's called you to do. And so the E2 course, if I can just explain this. Sorry, I began to read that paragraph that was explaining it, and then I took a long, radical rabbit trail. Um, But it's a year-long course. We're going to run it every year. This year, it's going to run from March of 2019 to March of 2020. The first six months... It's divided into two halves. The first six months is going to be monthly trainings, probably on Sunday evenings, maybe a few Saturday mornings, that are going to last for three to four hours. There is going to be uh, weekly homework of about two to four hours a week. Don't freak out. That's only like anywhere from 17 to 35 minutes a day of stuff that you're going to, so like half a Netflix show, okay, because they're not even 30 minutes anymore, like every Netflix show is like 44 minutes, something like that, I know that because my wife watches it, not me, um, <laughs> just kidding, but, uh, but so you, you, everybody's got the time, but it's not just that, here's the deal, let, let, let me read, um, let me read to you Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, this is very simple, but very instructive. Paul says to Timothy, he says, flee youthful passions. Flee. And he says, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. If I had to just sum up what Paul's saying to Timothy, he's saying, run away from sin, run towards righteousness, and run with other people who are doing the same thing. That's what the E2 course is. Is that it's for people that want to commit for a year to be trained. A lot of the training is going to revolve around helping you understand what your spiritual gift is, what your calling is, how God... And, and, here's, and I can't go into all this now. This is why you've got to take the course and do this together. Um, but guys, can I just say this? Like, nothing in your life... Nothing up to this point. Even the things that happened to you before you knew Jesus as your Savior. Okay, God is so sovereign. He, he's always been at work in your life even before you knew that he was at work in your life. Okay, the Bible teaches that through and through. And here's what I would say. Nothing is in your life is wa- has been wasted. Everything that has happened in your life, God has been using you in those situations, okay, Maybe not so much before you knew him, but now. But here's the other thing. He's also been preparing you. Every hardship, every difficulty, every broken relationship, everything that's happened, he has been preparing you 
Nothing is wasted. And so, so much of understanding the specifics of what God has called us to do comes back to just listening and looking, though, too, at our life and what he's been doing. And then saying, God, what are you doing? (laughs) How many of you guys have ever asked that question? Lord, I just, this is a mess. I don't know how I got here, and I sure don't know how I'm going to get out of here. But guys, God knows. God knows as we take the time to intentionally get at his feet. So sorry, another rabbit trail, but anyway, E2 course. It's gonna, the first six months is going to be these trainings, meeting together. It's going to be, there's going to be other ways, I won't go into it now, of how we're going to connect with a group of people that we're going to be reading through the same Bible reading plan together. We're going to be reading the same books together. We're going to be praying and studying the same things. There's going to be a lot. We're all going to be running in the same direction. But during that time, as we listen for what God has for you and think about your gifting and your calling and your passions, it's going to build up to the second six months then, is you, not by yourself, and this is important, because whenever God calls us to do something, again, we're just one, we're each just one individual member of the body. But we're going to pair you together with another person or two or three um, to engage in the second six months in some sort of intentional mission experiment. Some sort of thing that you feel God calling you to do. And listen, let me be very clear. I'm not saying that we're just going to send each one of you to China or to Thailand, or to Africa for six months. You're like, man, this, you, when you said commitment, you weren't playing, Eric. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, if that's what God wants you to do, I will absolutely send you to China. <laughs> or to, if that's what God wants you to do. If that's where you feel God leading you to go. But here, here's, here's, here's what I want to flesh out a little bit. Is that we want to empower you and equip you, commission you, to just start to go. We are so in the church because there's so much cultural Christianity that focuses on knowledge and information intake and not obedience. We are way over-educated beyond our obedience. Does that make sense? So we just take, and we never, because we think that, man, I got to know this and I don't know enough yet and I'm not equipped and I'm not smart enough and I just don't have enough training yet. Jesus called the disciples, they dropped their nets, they followed him, and they learned as they went. That's how it happened. And so in the second six months, we want to send you out to engage in simple ministry opportunities. And let me just give a few, I mean, this could be anything. It, it, the, the possibilities are literally endless as to what I'm talking about here. It could be taking um, some, a gift of some sort, and trying to reach out to the Guatemalan population down in New Philly. It could be starting a um, support group for couples in our area that have experienced the pain of having a miscarriage. It could be mentoring a group of five fourth-grade girls. It could be starting a Bible study for 15 minutes once a week in your break room at work. Like, are you with me? Like, don't, don't overthink this. It could be, the problem with us engaging in mission is we always overthink it. And we think that we either need to be attached to or we need to start our own 501c3 before we can ever do that. That's not the way mission works. 
some of the most effective, highly trained, and impactful people in the army are, um, <coughs> excuse me, are the Navy SEALs, right? And what they are is they're small little teams that go in, that are tightly knit together, that have been trained, that are thinking the same, that are on the same page. And they go in and they have an impact um, against, against the enemy. And so think Navy SEAL team as opposed to like Marine Battalion of like several hundred people. We want to plug you in together with other people that again are running the same direction and release you into mission. Um, and I am so excited about this. I just can't, I could talk about it absolutely forever. Because guys, this is where, here's the deal. This is where most of us, if, if you think of these three things, worship, community, mission, bride, or bride, family, body. If you think of them as like vitamins or nutrients or something that we need to take in, most of us are pretty good here. We got a lot of that. But almost every single one of us is deficient on the mission end. And mission, it is about the impact that you're having in the lives of others, but here's the other big thing that we always miss, and this is why I say it works to think of it as like a vitamin or something, nutrient that you need to take in. It's going to have an impact on others. It's also going to have an impact on you. Engaging in mission is a means through which God wants to sanctify you, through which he wants to make you into the image of Christ. No amount of classroom training, just doing that, that alone, of course that's part of it. But that alone can never substitute for actually stepping out in faith, trusting Jesus, engaging in conversation with the lost. And here's the deal. Guys, if all our learning, if all our coming together and our singing and our worship and taking notes and taking in the word of God if it does not end in mission to where we then go out and call other people into this pathway of following Jesus into the life of the church, if it does not end in us going out and calling others to do it, listen to me. I have no idea what we're doing. I don't understand. Are you with me? If the end of all, like, I love you. You all look very pretty and handsome and nice. Okay? But if we're just going to come for the next 20, 30 years, and I'm going to stare at you, and you're going to stare at me, and we're going to sing a few songs, and then we're going to leave, guys, that is not the church of Jesus Christ. And quite honestly, it's a waste of my time and it is a way, a, definitely a waste of your time. God has more for us. Are we centered around the truth of this gospel? Is the message important? Absolutely, hear me. We're never going to stop doing this as long as we're going. That would be to wipe any one of these out is a mistake. But it has got to end in mission. Why? Because this is what Christ commanded us to do. We want the earth to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea someday, totally, perfect, completely. Finally, when he comes back, every eye will see him. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But now it is our job 
to cover the earth with the glory of the Lord by going and proclaiming this gospel to every nation under heaven. That there is good news that God sent his son to take upon himself the punishment that we deserve, absorbing the wrath of God on himself on the cross. And there are only two groups of people in this world. There are those who have had their sin judged at the cross, and so we are now free, and we are made sons and daughters, or there are those who will have their sins judged eternally, forever, in hell. Everyone's sin is judged at one of two places. In hell forever or at the cross. If you are a Christian, if you're a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, then we come together and we rejoice in the fact that Jesus took that punishment that we deserve. And there's no judgment left for you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Jesus took our condemnation at the cross. That's the good news. That's the core of this message that we've got to proclaim with the voice that you've been given. And the gifts that you've been given for the honor and the glory of Jesus. Amen? So, very practically, again, um, I told you this whole sermon is the life application portion of the sermon over the last sermons over the last several weeks. You think about it, pray about it, if you ask questions about the E2 course, but here's what I want you to do. And, and, and listen, I want to, maybe, it, it, we, we totally know that it may not be the season. It probably isn't the season for everybody to sign up for the E2 course this year. Um, but we do think it's the season for some of you. And as you think and pray about it, and you feel God leading you to do that, or if you've been stirred by anything that I've said here this morning and would like to understand what your gift is, what your calling is, when, and most, most importantly, because many people have studied that, but then they f- it falls off when we ask, well, but what difference does it make? Why does that matter? Um, then I want you to go to mercyhillfamily.com, click on that little E2 tab, sign up, Put your information in there. Somebody will contact you. And be willing to commit to run together for a year, again, just as a starting point, to launch us in the direction of running away from sin, running towards righteousness, and running with other people who are doing the same thing. Amen? Um, Guys, I love you. And God has so many good things in store for us. And I I can't put just into one message or one sermon how excited I am about uh, about this course. And again, it's not not the course, it's not perfect, it's just the fact that we're going to be doing this intentionally together. But I want to say this too, and I totally admit this, and all the elders will admit this as well, is that I really wish, honestly, when we started Mercy Hill, I wish we would have started with this. I wish we would have started with something closer to the E2 course that we would have been calling people into immediately. And here's what I want to say, and I don't want to like overstate this and sound overly dramatic, but in some ways, there's a sense in which I want to apologize to each and every one of you. Because guys, you are precious, and you are made in the image of God. And you are just as valuable 
you are just as important to this local body as I am or any one of the elders are or anybody else. And your gifting and your calling and your passion and the assignments that God has already prepared in advance for you to do, they matter. They matter so much. And I want to spend the rest of my life doing whatever I can to help you and anybody else that the Lord ever brings to Mercy Hill to understand what those callings, giftings, and passions are so that you can live in the joy of continually being used by him and going where he wants you, where he wants you to go. Um, Acts chapter one, Jesus had been risen, been raised from the dead. Uh, The disciples meet him out on a mountainside somewhere. And they say to him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of heaven? So, you know, you died. They shouldn't have killed you. You you were raised again. Let's go get him. And he goes, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that God has set by his own authority. But here's what he says. He goes, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. That was for them and that's for every one of us. But guys, we experience the power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit as we also embrace his call to them and to us to be witnesses. That's his will for each and every one of us. And uh, again, I'm just excited about it. I'm looking forward to it. And that is the practical sermon for today. You guys stand with me. We're not going to take communion today. Neil, where's Neil at? Neil, did you fix your guitar? Let's do this. You were going to end with how great thou art, didn't you? Can, Can we come up and just do that song and can we could we do this guys um we're not taking communion and every time after the sermon I'm at least I like movement and so I like just to see everybody milling around and we do that you know whatever and but can we do this could, could we just form and the room might not be big enough maybe we'll have to double up but can we just form a really big circle around the outside can we do that like right now you can you can move just form a really big circle and and let's and let's hold hands and I'll just and maybe Ashley wants to just play and we'll sing just how great thou art and we'll be <coughs> You can come here, buddy. <laughs>